In Vegas, yeah, I drink Jaeger. Full bangers get serenaded by ladies basically naked. It's crazy, this life I take it. Yeah, everybody knows white girls drink vodka sodas. Jack and Cokes will get you open. Tequila shots are the dopest, and I love it. The way you look so fine when I'm fading. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CNO Podcast, episode six. We transitioned from a extremely hot week in Winnipeg to an extremely windy week in Winnipeg. Kind of looking like Chicago here, the Windy City. But before we get into some NHL talk, we'll throw it over to the boys. Kian, how are we shaping up today? Oh, not too bad. You know, finally getting some nice weather where it's not, you know, 45 degrees, sweaty ass everywhere. So got to hang out outside for a bit today and had a nice weekend at the lake with the boys this weekend. So doing pretty well. How about you, Owen? How are you shaping up today? Oh, we're good. A little tired, but um, you know, I'm just trying to catch up on some sleep. You know, the, the heat earlier in the week kind of got to me, but you know what? We're just catching up, just chilling. And um, yeah, not too much to say, to be honest. Yeah. Before we get any further here, before we start the NHL talk, we just want to remind you to head over to Farhan Mafia on Instagram. Go check out the Twitch links to their tournament. That should be starting anytime. And you'll find all the tournament updates there, leading scores, brackets, anything that you need over there. So Farhan Mafia on Instagram, and that's where you'll find everything. So both conference finals have kicked off here in the NHL playoffs. Obviously, the Islanders are playing the Lightning, and Vegas is playing Montreal. We'll start off with game one of the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, did any of you guys have a chance to catch that game? Uh, I watched a little bit of it, and I-, I found it one of the most boring games of the playoff, honestly. Like, the Islanders showed... Okay, we we're playing one certain way this series, and I don't think Tampa Bay was ready or even expecting that type of way, even though they played last year in a conference final. So I didn't really find game one that interesting, but game two last night was a barn burner. So Owen, what do you have to say? Yeah, I'm the opposite. I didn't I wasn't able to catch last night's game. I haven't seen any of it, any highlights or anything, just the Braden Point penalty, but I did see game one, so I can speak about that one. And yeah, I thought it was Tampa kind of shot themselves in the foot in that game. It just kind of felt like their mistakes really cost them. I mean, there's a sloppy plays at the blue line, bad passes where, you know, they get over the blue and they're trying to make a pass to the other side of the rink. Like you saw in the Steven Stamkos turnover, which led to the Barzell goal. So yeah, I mean, Islanders capitalized on their chances and um, yeah, just typical Islanders hockey. So they earned that game one win for sure. And I can't speak for game two. Yeah. So in game one, the Islanders have a strategy that, you know, works out sometimes and doesn't work out other times where, you know, they have all five guys in the, in the defensive zone and they kind of clog up the middle. Right. So it, it's hard to get shots through. Like you'll see, uh, I think Sezikis had like five or six blocks yesterday. Right. Like it's, it's impossible sometimes for Tampa to get the shots through because they're all just all buying in. And in game one, they were just suffocating Tampa. They let Tampa have the perimeter all day, but they didn't let them work any shots inside. Uh, they, barely, they barely had any home plate shots or, or whatever you want to call them, you know, high slotting in. So I just found that Tampa Bay was very frustrated and it took them until they were two men up to score at the very end of the game, which by the way, was a gorgeous goal. But you know, they're, they're going to need to get inside more, which they ended up doing in game two. But, you know, they, they, they played two teams that were pretty high flying in the playoffs, you know, that kind of sacrificed a little bit of defense in order to 
be good offensively and they weren't ready for the shutdown Islanders in game one. Yeah. Like last night I watched quite a bit of the game and, or game two, sorry. And the Islanders, they just love to like collapse that middle, like Google was saying, all perimeter shots, like, and it works for them. Like a lot of teams, I don't think a lot of teams could play that style like the Islanders play. I think they would give away too many shots, but the Islanders are just so good defensively, so good at blocking shots that it works for them. Right. Like, yeah, they may have a bad turnover here or there, but for the most part, they seem to get the puck out. And if they don't, then you see Andy Green having a three-and-a-half-minute shift almost. How the fuck are you? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, just for the Islanders, someone that's really has stepped up for them these playoffs. I mean, he's been a beast like since they've drafted him, but as Barzell, I mean, you just look at him. Um, he's stepped up big time. You know, I think it was a while back Barry Trotz called him out and said, basically, we need him playing at the – top of his game for us to win i'm paraphrasing I want to say there, he scratched there. him for a game yeah that sounds familiar so i mean yeah he's just an absolute beast um he's making boston look awful for passing on him but i mean it's looked bad since almost day one so yeah i mean the guy's just playing at another level and you know when we're talking about playoff performers and they usually the attention goes to guys like Braden point and rightfully so but starting to feel like, you know what, maybe Matt Barzell needs a bit more attention. I saw a stat last night. How many games in a row has points scored? Or he's scored in like 11 of the last 12 playoff games or something for Tampa Bay. Like he is so electric in the playoffs. It's insane. And Kucherov with three assists last night. Like unreal, man. Now with Braden Point, pretty sure I saw that they are 17-3 and three when he scores a goal in the playoffs dating back to last year's playoffs. Like since the beginning of the bubble. So that's just incredible. Like he only scores big goals, right? He scored the first goal of last night's game. Uh, he scored a goal to bring them within one uh, in game one, even though it didn't end up being anything. And that's just another big goal, right? So Tampa Bay has an incredible winning percentage when Braden Point wins. And, you know, he steps it up in the big games, right? Conference finals, game sevens, overtimes, Stanley Cup finals, every game, right? He scored the Stanley Cup uh, winner last year, right? Uh, he scored to make it one nothing, and they won 2 nothing in that game. So... Braden Point right now, he could be high up there in Conn Smythe voting, obviously. Oh, for sure. And, you know, he's he's his name's going to be thrown around a lot if Tampa Bay goes on and wins back to back. Okay, okay. Yeah, continuing on with Braden Point, it's I just it's so impressive how he's able to just step up step up his game in the playoffs. I mean, Toronto fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with the whole uh, Matthews and Marner really. Uh, I guess taking a step back and not producing and not being as dominant as they are in the regular season. It's crazy. The guy like point. Um, I mean, he's phenomenal in the regular season, but um, you know, it gets the playoffs and he just takes it to another level. And I mean, he's one of the best players in the game when it comes time to playoffs, which is just crazy. Speaking of point, what about that hit last night on Varlamov? <laughs> that's, that's where I was going to go. Like shifting into other talks from game two. The refing was atrocious. Oh, it was last night. so bad. Did so you guys just, see that? I'll just highlight some of some of the things here. Yeah. So Braden Point gets called on a phantom goaltender interference call. When he, he gets cross-checked. <laughs> yeah, he gets cross-checked from behind, has no chance of stopping, runs into Varlamov. Varlamov has to leave for concussion protocol, which is fair, right? And then Brock Nelson scores on the power play, which that was kind of sus, the fact that they're even on the power play. Then Tampa scores a goal with six players on the ice. They had seven on the ice for a little bit there too, right? Like, what what are what's going on with these refs? Like, it's it's did, also getting worse and worse every game when it should be getting better and better. 
Did you see when it was 4-1, though, and the Islanders made it 4-2? The Islanders also had six players on the ice, but no one's talking about that. Like, the fa- like, I understand Trotz is mad. Yes, Tampa did have six guys on the ice, and it for sure should have been a penalty. But you can't complain after the game when you got a, I, I think, a horseshit call on Braden Point, called in your favor, and you scored in the power play. And then they missed a call, and at least a goal. Yes, you can be mad, but, like, making all this attention to it, it's like, okay, the goal you scored, I think it was to tie it up 1-1, right? When Nelson scored? Yeah. I yeah, think. to tie it up 1-1 on a pretty terrible penalty. Like, I don't know. It, it was just ter- terrible refing altogether. I think the ref was the same one that Brenda Moore, I think it was last year he called out, and Cassidy this year called out of St. Saint- Laurent, Francis St. Laurent. He was refing again. So it just shows – the NHL needs to look at the refing once again. Yeah, it's a shame. It seems like it's an annual thing now. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't see the game, so I can't judge it on that game. But yeah, all throughout these playoffs, it seems like it's constantly getting criticized. And, you know, it's kind of a shame that the refing has to take such a, is such a, it's in the spotlight every single playoff run. It'd be nice if we could go a spring without um, all the controversy. Well, yeah. And, and like another thing is like, uh, Patrick Maroon, I believe it was Patrick Maroon and Matt Martin. Uh, no, I I don't know which defenseman it was on on the Islanders. It, it might have been uh, Pulock or or Mayfield. It, it doesn't really matter, but they were kind of going at it all shift. And one of them, like Mayfield or whoever the defenseman was, it might have even been Pellick. Like he was holding. Uh, Maroon the entire way down the ice, and then Maroon threw him down at the end of the play. And they called Maroon for holding and they called the other guy for roughing. And it's just like, okay, well, you're getting these calls backwards too. Like even like, obviously it's a good thing that both of them got a penalty, but like they're calling the most bogus shit on these guys. Like Pat Maroon, they called him for holding and he was skating up the ice like this, trying to get away from him. And he's holding, like he was getting held by like the top of his shoulder. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a joke. And then they called Chernak for like a slash when like the guy was skating by, he kind of slashed him in the back of the leg, like barely, like just some of these just, calls were so soft too. Some of the calls are so just ticky tacky. I feel, I think that's kind of the perfect description of the the playoff calls so recently. Like, you don't know what's going to be a penalty, what's not going to be a penalty, right? Like, look at, oh, was it Smith who slashed Ranton and stick out of his hand, but like barely even touched him in overtime. Then Ranton went on and scored the overtime winner, like. It's just a over and over topic every year. Yeah, and you know, another thing that I don't like is it's the playoffs, right? So Martin and Maroon tried to go in the first period, mm-hmm. and because Martin was trying to stick up for for his teammate, I, I forget which one it was, but Maroon ragged all them, and he was going to the box, right? And I, I don't understand why the linesman won't let them go. Like, I mean, I understand it, but it's the playoffs. Like, it's a pivotal game. It could be a a two nothing series lead or it could be a one one tie right let them go same with i think it was ross colton and somebody else were trying to go on the other side i think it might have been komarov and it's like they they aren't even letting them go it's like no, it was um colton and johnson yeah because it, it was the same time maroon and martin actually fought at the at the end of their shift right it's like it's like you're trying to they're they're trying to set a spark for their team and that's another thing that'll draw fans and stuff like that to the nhl because some people like to watch the hockey for hitting and fights, right? So, I mean, 
it's, it's just something that I wish that they would let go, but I understand why they don't. But you, you got to let the boys go, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Now we'll switch over to Vegas and Montreal. What I noticed from that game is just that Montreal was not adjusted to the way that Vegas plays. And that, that's or even the, the fans play. Yeah. So Montreal played against two teams that in, in the playoffs, you know, they obviously have speed and skill, but the main focus of their game is on the cycle and is not off the rush, right? Like it's, it's big body movement down low and things like that, right? Like the way that the Jets play, they try to work things from, from goal line to the hash marks, right? In the offensive zone. That's how they get a lot of their goals. Whereas Vegas is an extreme rush team, right? So I, they just weren't really adjusted to that. And also I think they, they were kind of starstruck when they saw how loud it is in Vegas. Yeah, for sure. It was the place was absolutely bumping. But um I don't understand why people are giving Montreal so much credit going to this series. Like I saw so many polls where it was like a you know who would win the series and it was, some of them were like 52% Vegas, like 48% Montreal and it's like okay, I get Montreal dominated Winnipeg and came back from a 3-1 series lead against Toronto, but if you think about it, Toronto missing arguably one of their best players in Tavares. The Jets missing their best player in Shifley. So they kind of fucking locked out, right? Two of the better players from the two teams they've played. Yeah, they did play really solid to come back and to sweep the Jets, but I think Vegas will get this done in five. Like, Price is the only reason I can see why Montreal would win a game, to be honest. Yeah, I thought that um, for game one, I thought Montreal had a really good start. They were in Vegas' zone controlling the play. They seemed to pretty much shut the crowd down from what we could see on TV. But then in Vegas just picked it up and we just see why they're one of the best teams in the league and one of the favorites, obviously, to win the cup. I know there's only four teams left, but they've been the favorite all year. So, yeah, they just turned it on. And for Montreal, someone they need to get going is Josh Anderson. I think he has one point in his last 23 games. Um, it's just not good enough. The guy is a playoff-type player where, you know, he likes to crash and bang and um, – you know, he goes to the net hard. Montreal, if they won't have a chance against Vegas, they're going to need this guy to get going. And another thing, Montreal is not going to win without Jeff Petrie. They, they, they literally need him. He's, he's their best puck-moving defenseman. He's always up in the play. He's great for their power plays whenever they have them. And he, he's just such an important player to their lineup, right? Now, now it forces them to play a little bit slower because the defenseman that they have, that they have in, like they don't really have like a fast defenseman on their team. Really, in, in my opinion, I guess Romanov could be fast, but he hasn't really played in a while. He played one game against the Jets, I believe, one or two, and then he played uh, the other night, But and he's about to play tonight, I think. But I think it's just hard for Montreal to keep up. Like, Vegas out-transitioned and outspeeded, if that's even a word, outsped the fastest team, <laughs> the best transition. Right? So the, the fact that they're able to do that and Mark Stone is just such a fucking boost, even oh though he got robbed by Carey Price last game. And then Marcia So got robbed by him too. But Carey Price stood on his head, and they still lost 4-1. to one. I mean, they're, they're going to need something crazy to happen. It was good that Cole Caulfield got on the board for them. I think that'll definitely boost his confidence, and maybe he'll start shooting more and stuff like that. But they, they definitely need to get something going if they want to have a chance against Vegas. I honestly think Vegas is going to win the cup. And I'm not just because of watching game one the other night. It was um, in game six, 
last Thursday, game six, yeah, game six last Thursday against Colorado. They're up three. They're up three goals with like seven seconds left. And I'm I'm just watching that in the game because whatever. And I see three or four guys from Vegas all diving in front of the shot lane with seven seconds left of a three goal game. That's how that's how fucking tight this team is. Like they want to win and they don't want to give up any goals. And obviously you don't want to do that in hockey, but you know, when you're up three with seven seconds left and when you're going to win the series, you don't really see that from a team. Right. So I just think Vegas, they're so top heavy or not top heavy. They're heavy from top to bottom and their teams are so good. And they showed against Colorado who was probably the favorite going to win the cup, going to the playoffs. Well, and a player that is honestly just unfair that they have is Alex Tuck. The fact that he's playing in their bottom six is ridiculous. I, I think that, like, he plays very similarly to Josh Anderson in the fact that, you know, they're both fast. They both like to bang the body. But Alex Tuck is fucking sick. And he's, he's so much so, better than Anderson. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. I mean, you know, he he's probably one of my favorite players to watch on Vegas. And, you know, people always talk to me. They always say, oh, I don't want Vegas to win. Like, this is Winnipeg people because they broke our hearts in 2018. That, that doesn't have anything to do with it anymore, honestly. They were a better team then, and they're a sick team now. It's one of those things, like, like if they win, good. Like, they're a sick team, right? It's like, I, I don't understand when people get mad about stuff like that. And, like, obviously, I don't really want Montreal to win, and, and I don't think they will, but I'm just praying for a Tampa Bay-Vegas final. That would be an unbelievable seven-game series. I also think Montreal and... New York in the final could be possibly the worst thing for the NHL right now with, with the whole new TV deal coming in next year. I just, I, I don't think anyone would watch that final except for Montreal fans, Islander fans, and maybe throw on a game or two. But other than that, I think Vegas and Tampa Bay would be an unreal final. Yeah. It's just not the style of hockey that the NHL wants to promote, right? The, the slow kind of sit back, kind of games uh if it was tampa bay and vegas i think that would be unbelievable just the forwards that these teams have the firepower you know vegas's defensemen are crazy at moving the puck up the ice martinez uh theodore petrangelo their first passes are great and they're good at joining the rush and their shots rarely get blocked that's one thing that i noticed about about uh, shea theodore for sure is that he barely misses the net. And I mean, he scored the other night, not particularly a hard shot, which is very accurate. And it was kind of through a screen. So those are the kind of goals that teams that win the cup get because they have such accurate shooters from the point and they put it in proper spots, you know, for tips or whatever. Zach Whitecloud has looked really good too. Like the past couple of games, he's a big body, big boy, but fuck, can he move the puck? Like, I, I love watching him on the ice. He's just so good. He, he'll he make a hit, take a hit to make a play. Like, he'll do it all, and that's really what Vegas need. And they're, I don't know what line he's playing. I'm assuming probably second line D, but he's just so good, and their whole team's buying in. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to transition into something else right now in the NHL. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets have a new arena name. It will no longer oh, yeah. be LMTS Place. It is now the Canada Life Center. So I think it's pretty sick that we get to call it the CLC, but I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna miss uh, Bell MTS place. It that one kind of rolled off the tongue, and I mean their logo looks like a President's Choice logo, so that's kind of tough. 
know we're going to get chirped about that a little bit. Yeah, um, the whole president's choice. It's basically a Walmart um, version of uh, a good uh, grocery store. is kind of tough. But overall, I was never a fan of the Bell MPS place. The MPS uh, center uh, was sick, center, but yeah. the whole, the place, like it's not a place, it's a center. So, you know, like, kinda... I don't care what the name is. They can name it um, Trash City Center. And honestly, I think it's better than a place. <laughs> probably just because it's connected to Portage Place. Jesus. Yeah, probably. The NHL over the past couple of days have announced a couple more things about awards. So the Jack Adams nominees were, were announced, them being Rod Brindamore from the Carolina Hurricanes. Dean Evason from the Minnesota Wild and Joel Quenville from the Florida Panthers. I think all three of them are extremely deserving. You know, Carolina finished the top of the most top heavy division in the NHL. You know, the Wild came out of nowhere. You know, nobody really thought that they were going to be as good as they were. And Joel Quenville made the Florida Panthers a legitimate playoff team this year and not just kind of one of those teams that is mediocre that nobody really talks about. Who do you guys predict is going to win this award? I think the wild coach will just because like no one really had them doing anything this season. No name like, for him? Just the wild I, coach? I, I'm sorry, but I forgot his <laughs> name. Evanson, is it? Yeah. Dean Evanson. Okay. Yeah, my bad, Evanson. No, you're not going <laughs> to listen to this, but I I didn't realize – I didn't even see the these are the nominations. So I'm going Evanson just because it's a wild and I kind of wrote them off this year coming into the season. Yeah, I'll go with Quenville just because, like, Florida finally took a step and he got guys like, you know, Carter Verhage and um, Mackenzie Wieger and even Aaron Eckblad when he was healthy, you know, just taking that next step, playing at a new level. And then, um, yeah, I was someone that's been predicting Florida to take a uh, jump for several years, except this year I finally gave up with expecting them to take the next step. So, of course, this would be the year that they do it. But, um I just want to say um, Mike Sullivan was snubbed once again. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I'm going to go same as Owen. I think Quenville will win. Uh, you know, it, it's just another thing that he'll add to, to his coaching resume as one of the best or one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in this game, I believe at least, you know. Uh, it, it's just too bad that that Florida team had to go up against Tampa Bay in the first round, right? Uh, it. It's just shitty, the luck of the draw. But, you know, it, it was hard to run things this year with COVID, so I understand the reason why they did did the divisions and everything that the way that they were. But, you know, I, I think Quenville, for sure, you know. Even Chris Drieger was playing unbelievable, and Barkov was playing at a, at a near MVP level. Huberto was playing unbelievable. Obviously, those players are, are household names or they would be if they didn't play in Florida. But, you know, I, I just think all around, it, it was kind of the most surprising thing because it, it almost seemed like like they were maybe going backwards after last year. You know, they let go of Hoffman and Dadanov. But, you know, they, they really rebounded with guys like Owen said, you know, Carter Verhage and Anthony Duclair. So I, I think it'll be Quenville, but honestly, if any of them win, it doesn't really change my life. All right. And now we have an award winner to announce. The winner of the King Clancy Award this year is Pecorine. So the King Clancy Award is an, is an award that is handed out to the player that shows leadership on and off the ice and makes humanitarian contributions to his community. 
So Rene raised more than $3 million for the Monroe Corral Jr. Children's Hospital in Vanderbilt, Tennessee. So, you know, that, that's a tremendous thing to do, especially in your community uh, and, and for children, right? Those are the ones who, who look up to guys like Pecorine, right? Especially he, he's a Nashville Predator legend and he might even be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done, right? So for him to be making these contributions, you know, towards the end of his career when he is probably, you know, focusing on winning a Stanley Cup is, is just awesome to see. I agree. Me too. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And the next winner, the winner of the Bill Masterton trophy is Oscar Lindblom. The Bill Masterton is the award that is given to the player that best exemplifies perseverance and dedication to hockey. Obviously Oscar Lindblom battled through cancer last season and it was great to see him back out there and, you know, fuck cancer. And, and it was awesome that he could battle through it. You know, we've seen it with guys like, uh, Mario Lemieux and Saku Koivu battling cancer and coming back. And it's just always a heartwarming moment. And I think it kind of brought a tear to everybody's eye when he was finally back out there playing games and he was looking good. He had his hair back and everything like that. It was, it was really fun to see. And you cheer for those guys, even Pittsburgh Penguins fans, you know, you, you just, you got to cheer for the guy. Right. And it was, I was very happy to see him back. You, you never want to see a young player, or anybody get their career taken away because of that. Yeah, perfectly said. Fuck cancer. And heating up this week, Jack Eichel trade rumors. We'll throw it over to Owen. He's kind of our our analyst and our insider over here. Well, I don't know about that. By insider, you mean checking Twitter and reading what Pierre LeBrun posted? Then uh, Owen gets all sure, the scoops. Call me an insider. But no, um, I was one of those like, okay, um, maybe Jack Eichel will get traded. But with this latest tweet, it sounds like it's almost uh, like a foregone conclusion that Jack Eichel's gone, so um, kind of crazy, but um, I guess we can get into some predictions of where he'll end up. I'm going to go with Anaheim because, hear me out, I think that um, it'll be the third overall pick going the other way as part of something else because, I mean, um, I really think Anaheim and LA are the two most likely because they have both have top 10 picks, both have some prospects. I mean, LA has way more than Anaheim, but Anaheim they have the top three picks so I mean if you're Buffalo and if you can end up with two top three picks in this year's draft and then whatever else Anaheim has to throw in I mean that's a pretty decent way to start your second rebuild second rebuild in 10 years or just a build not even a rebuild just build (laughs) they got to do something it's not working whatever they tried before so I think that he's going to go to LA in in my opinion and I think that what could maybe go the other way would maybe be Alex Turcotte potentially I, I think that would probably be the thing that, that Buffalo would would target. They would target either Byfield or Turcotte, but LA's not going to give up Byfield, in my opinion. And I think they'd be way more lenient to give up Turcotte. And if, if Buffalo came back with a return that included Alex Turcotte and maybe like a roster player, may, maybe a centerman, I, I'm not really sure, to fill in for Eichel's roster spot or whatever, I, I think that would be a nice a nice addition for Buffalo. And for LA, I think they're kind of on the upswing here. And I think it's only a matter of time before they're one of those young teams that makes the playoffs that maybe won't go as far in the beginning, but they'll gain experience from that. Kind of like what the Carolina Hurricanes did a few years ago. All right, here's my prediction. Hear me out. You're drafting Owen Powers this year. Carlson for Eichel one for one. It's happening. (laughs) It's happening. Hey, cap swap. They need a veteran D-man for Owen Power. 
no, that's not happening. Um, yeah, Carlson I think he's going. First round picks, right? <laughs> I think he's going to either LA or Anaheim, but I would love to see him go to Minnesota somehow. I don't know how they would make it work, but seeing him in Minnesota with Kirill Kaprizov would be unreal. But yeah, I'm on the same boat as these two fellas were. I think it's between Anaheim and LA at this point. LA has by far the more prospects, but I think Anaheim will be able to make something work with that uh, third overall pick. Yeah, I think that um, we should never count out the Rangers, though. Whenever there's a superstar player wanting out um, and they need a centerman, well, I guess not need, but who knows what's going to go on with Sabinajad when his contract's up. So New York, it could be a possibility, although I'm not sure if they're willing to cough up Capocacco or Alexi Lafreniere, which would likely be the return. But yeah, I feel like it's easier to move a draft pick than a player that you've already drafted and that you've kind of, you know, you know who you have, whereas a draft pick is just a draft pick. It's, there's no player attached to it. So I feel like Anaheim or LA, if they could move their picks, it'd be a lot easier than saying goodbye to somebody that you already know who that player is. Might as well fire up the trade rooms to Montreal too. Every player seems to want to go to Montreal. So, Well, every analyst seems to want to think that the players want to go to Montreal. Yeah. I think maybe this is an extreme, extreme sleeper, but Calgary, honestly, they they could move one of either Goudreau or Monaghan, most likely Monaghan just because, you know, like centerman kind of swap and then maybe throw in a guy like Connor Zary or something like that. And then something else, because obviously you got to put in a big haul for, for a guy like Jack Eichel, right? And I, I just think that the Calgary Flames, you need to shake up the core over there. Like, it's just not working right now. And they, they could use a number one center like Jack Eichel. Every team could, but I, I don't think that one is very likely, but that's something that I wouldn't mind seeing. Yeah, it would, it would be interesting if Calgary tried to make a move for him because I think Buffalo would for sure want younger guys. I think that's why it's mostly LA and Anaheim in the talks. But if Buffalo is willing to take Monaghan and, you know, couple prospects first round pick whatever i think should i think calgary should for sure pull the trigger uh more nhl news today jason spezza did it again he signed for the league minimum with the toronto maple leafs just ahead of the expansion draft so that that means that there'll be another player unprotected for for toronto i guess which would be jason spezza because he would have been a ufa either like uh instead Sorry for that voice, voice. And uh, this guy is robbing himself with Toronto tax. This guy's making like 300 Schmied. To, and he's not going to win the cup. The fourth line. And he's not going to win the cup. So I, I don't really know what, what he wants to do. Like, because he could have easily hit the open market and gotten probably two, I would say, especially he had a 30 point season and he's a perfect guy to have on your power play. And he just seems like such a good guy, you know, offering Joe Thornton a number that he was wearing. Right, even though Spezza has had a better NHL career than Joe Thornton. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, Kian. I was, but I was. Oh. <laughs> that that's definitely a good guy alert because that's definitely he's a huge part of that team. Even though it always says that he's a four C, but he's definitely he definitely doesn't play like one. He should be a Masterton uh, nominee next year. I mean, taking pay cuts year after year, like making whatever league minimum. That's dedication to hockey. You know, if you're taking <laughs> yeah. pay cuts to that. You know what, Mitch and all the top team guys on Toronto can uh, can uh, stick around, and Dubas is happy. So, hey, you know what, I'm good for him. I think it's safe to say that he won't be paying for dinner on the road. I I, I think especially guys like Matthews and Marner and Tavares realize how much money he's missing out on here. Especially he's in the later part of his career. He could easily sign that league minimum if he wanted to in Tampa Bay, 
or a place where, where he would have no a higher chance talks. of winning the cup. Exactly. But, you know, he, he's made it clear that he loves playing in Toronto. And, I mean, good for him. I, I like watching him play, too. He plays the game the right way or what I think is the right way. What do you guys think of uh, Gerard Gallant in New York? Oh, yeah, I guess I forgot to mention that. I mean, I don't know how much he's getting paid, but that is definitely, like, the most New York Rangers coach that they could have got, right? He probably costs a lot of money. He's a huge name, but the Rangers have the money to spend, right? They're the most valuable team in the NHL for a reason. And I, I think that he's the right coach to trans, transition them back into the playoffs with this young core. Uh, maybe he can work some magic like what he did with, with Vegas. I thought that he really made that team rally around each other the first year that he was the coach. So we'll see where that goes. I agree with everything you just said. It's the typical Rangers go for the biggest, the biggest name out there. And I mean, yeah, not very surprising that he ends up in with the Rangers. So what do you think, Ian? Oh, I yeah, I agree with both of you guys. It's very New York Rangers. I kind of figured he was going to go to New York there. You kind of have all the pieces they need for a coach to really push them to the playoffs like he did in Vegas the first year. Um, yeah, super New York coach, and hopefully he does well there. Okay, so transitioning away from the NHL, there's some other sports things that we want to talk about. Last night, in game five of the second round in the NBA between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, Kevin Durant went inhuman, scored 49 points last night and carried the Brooklyn Nets to a win. James Harden only had five points last night. Kevin Durant played all 48 minutes and looked like an absolute God out there. So I, I know that Kean's more of like the multi-sport guy here. So what, what do you think about that performance last night? Well, it was unbelievable. Like, Oh, Jeff Green, he played really good last night too. Last I saw, he had 27 points. I don't know what he finished with, but Kevin Durant just finished with 27K. Kevin Durant, though, just took that game over. Yeah, I know Harden was hurt, but fuck yeah. I think he played 35, 36 minutes, and he had five points. I mean, he he had six, 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 whoa, six assists and eight rebounds or vice versa, like, so he kind of produced a round, but he didn't get any points. So KD put the team on his back, though. James Harden was 1 for 10 from the field and 0 for 8 from 3. Which At I least mean, he was that, confident. That's the opposite of what James Harden usually does. He's usually, you know, 4 for 8 from 3, 5 for 8 from 3. But, you know, you could, you could tell that he's hurt. I don't watch a lot of basketball, but that was sick. I watched the highlights. Kevin Durant was scoring every way possible with his left, with his right from three, from mid, um, you know, post moves, uh, everything, you know, he was, he, he looked sick. Like, uh, I don't really know. I'm not a big basketball guy, but I know when a player's sick. The, the NBA playoffs this year have actually been lots and lots of fun, especially since uh second round started, like Trey, Trey Young and the, what you call it, Atlanta Hawks coming back. I think they're down, are they down 20, 16 or 18 or something going to the second half? And I think they held Philly to 34 points in the whole second half. So they, they made a huge comeback. They've been playing really good, but I, I still think Philly's going to win that series. But the Sun's sweeping the Nuggets. D- did you see that Jokic call? Yeah, that, that was a bad call. That was all that was That was terrible. Yeah, he did hit him in a nose. Fucking whoop-de-doo, shake it off, Cameron Payne. Hockey players get pucks to the nose and react better than you did come on but yeah it was it was absolutely bullshit that Jokic got a flagrant in the first place and up to a flagrant two and elimination game for the MVP 
yeah, Cam- <laughs> Jokic was like, trust me, pal, you're not that guy. And then Cameron Payne was like, are you that guy? <laughs> Jokic, absolutely. He shouldn't have been ejected, especially in a game, a game four that they need to win, right? But the fact that the reigning MVP is going home via sweep, it's the same thing as what Connor McDavid did in the first round. Is it is it is there a new curse in sports? MVP curse? There's a president's uh, cup tro- curse. Jesus, spit it out. President's trophy. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, that one. All right. And uh, switching over to the MLB, which is most hockey players' offseason sports, the MLB is implementing a rule basically where players will be banned automatically for 10 days for using foreign substances, like pitchers for using foreign substances. So, you know, to whatever, curve the ball a little bit more, have more grip on the ball, right? I think it's kind of bogus. Like, pitchers are starting to get hurt now because because of this. Because, I mean, they've thrown with something on their hands their entire lives. And people say, well, older professional athletes, they should be able to, to whatever, adapt to it. It would be like if you told an NHL player that now he stick. can't use hockey tape. No, that he can't use hockey tape now or grip on or grip tape on his stick after using it his entire life, right? It, it's just different. It's unnatural. So obviously Kean played baseball. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I have two things about this. Um one, I don't know if you guys you guys probably didn't see this, but Tyler Glasno, he like Tampa Bay, I heard they're fearing that he may need Tommy John. Like he really fucked up his elbow and it was the one game he didn't use sticky substance of whatever. And the big popular one that's really being talked about being banned is I think it's spider tack or spider spider something. And he said the one game he didn't use it, he felt fine. He's, I don't remember if he said it was a game four or that game. He threw one of his best games, but then he said the next morning he woke up and he, he could barely move his arm. Like he said in places he didn't even know he had muscles were hurting. So that, that just shows like how big of a deal some pitchers really, they don't need it, but like, They've been using it for so long. Their their arms used to it. Their mechanics. And he said his next start when you're holding a fastball, like he said, he had to like almost be palming his fastball and curveball, which is not usual like usual whatsoever for a pitcher, especially someone as good as Tyler Glasnow. And another thing, uh, I think it was like today, uh, Trevor Bauer was in an interview with MLB Network or something, and he had a ha- ball stuck to his hand, and he had his hand like straight straight out, and the ball like was sticking to his hand. And he said that was from sunscreen, some sort of sunscreen and sweat. So he was like, how can they come out and say, okay, this pitcher is using sticky substance because you can't really track it, right? There's so many different things that can make your hands sticky. Like when I pitch, I pitched in a ball, so it was whatever. But what I would do to make my hands a bit more sticky is I would lick it and then put it in the grass and lick it or um, put it in the dirt and then lick it again. And it would make that like st- kind of like sticky spit feeling, which is gross to talk about, but it made my hands stick. So I was able to whatchamacallit hold the ball better and he made a good point like if you're if you're complaining about strike calls if you know he's calling a ball that should be a strike and you're complaining who knows maybe he'll come out and say okay this pitcher's using sticky substance and you can't appeal it because how are you supposed to appeal having sticky stuff on your glove your hand your hat because you know how easy it is to wipe that off well and i I think this could eventually get to a situation where pitchers and teams are going to be suing the mlb especially if pitchers are going to be sitting out like a year and a half to two years from tommy john surgery because of of this shit one that's terrible for the league and two it's terrible for the player man for after you get tommy john you can't you can't throw like (laughs) with with tommy john you can't throw the same after you after you get that surgery right that's one of those surgeries that'll fuck up your arm for the rest of your life right so i i think it's kind of 
you know, I mean, I, I get that they don't want people cheating and using these substances or whatever, but they should allow like at least like one or something like that, that, that they could use, say, we don't want you using anything other than this one or something like that. Like, like maybe get one approved. I know that it would be hard to do that, but I mean, the last thing that you want to see is your star players, like, like Lasno going down with, with injuries. And like, even doctors have said recently, like these pitchers using this stuff to, you know, not have to grip the ball a certain way. So it doesn't, you know, fuck up their arm, fuck up their elbow. It's good for them. They're, they're risking they're they're having a less risk of injury from using some sort of substance. So I know it would be hard to, like you said, just keep one in, but how is this kind of any different than the MLB changing up the baseballs? I think it was two years ago, so they would get more home runs. How is that any different? It's just a pitcher's kind of variation, quote-unquote, of kind of doing that with the balls. It's kind of weird. I don't want to spend too much time on that because I feel like it's kind of like beating a dead horse, right? But, yeah, for sure. You know, especially more uh, MLB experts will know more than us. We're just kind of casual fans, especially of the Blue Jays, which Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going off. But anyways, <laughs> big sports weekend coming up. U.S. Open and golf's coming up, and Kian and I have a couple of guys that uh, we may think is going to win. Owen probably says Tiger Woods, but uh, <laughs> so I think that the winner is going to be John Rom. That that's my pick to win this weekend, and my sleeper pick, which I hate to say this, but is Patrick Reed. I do I hate the guy, but he's a sick golfer, and you you know he he hasn't won in a little bit. And I, I think he's due. He's he's probably a top 10, top 15 golfer in, in the world. And he, he usually plays the U.S. Opens pretty well. Yeah, um, I don't really like John Ram this week. Coming off of two-week quarantine, I think he got out of it Wednesday. So he's only been able to have one or two practice rounds at the course. So, And this course is way different than a lot of others. Like, did you see that video? on? T- I think you sent it to me of the rough by the green that is some thick ass rough and it's not like any regular golf course so i've drawn ram unbelievable golfer but i don't think he'll do as well as some people are saying this year at the u.s open but i have i have two guys who i think is going to win i think it's going to be colin morikawa he's played really good the past couple of tournaments he lost oh, who do you lose to two weeks ago and then my favorite pick is kepka i know he's yeah. i know he had knee surgery a couple couple months ago so it's still kind of lingering him but I think with having all this stuff with the Deschamps, it was just going to fire him up. And two of the last three U.S. Opens, he's won, and the other one, he came in second. Is that good? Yeah, well, and we do have to mention that Bryson DeChambeau is the reigning champion of the U.S. Open, right? So you can never count him out. And he usually plays these courses pretty well. They're, they're usually pretty long holes. and, and uh, You know the, how DeChambeau is. Yeah, he, he's able to cut them over the trees on most of these courses. It's not like like the masters you, you can't cut it over the trees there but you know that that's just who we kind of figured might win now guys it's summer music is huge in the summer what what do you guys got on your playlist this year just a couple songs here so i think kind of like the three of us we all kind of like to play the og playlist that our boy safe and made for us so two songs that i don't know if they both are on it but i think one of them are one of them body on my by loud, loud luxury song gets me going all the time just bopping in the car another one that i that i forgot about that i found the other day was slide by calvin harris i fucking love that song it's just such a vibe yeah i can only think of one because it's the ultimate summer song and it just puts all the other summer songs to shame and that's all summer long by kid rock it's his favorite definition song. it is the definition of summer and it's just it's perfect in every way shape or form i'm not a as big of a music guy as you guys but when it comes to summer songs, that's number one. Yeah, for me, 
you know, I, I've kind of stuck with, you know, kind of the, the pop, like hip hop theme for this, because obviously country is the best, the best genre to play in the summer, in my opinion, for sure. Hands down. Kind of a newer song is Heat Waves by Glass Animals and Ian Dior. You know, like that, that one gets me fired up, obviously, right? Think about you. That's a good song, you know, and and it's newer. Uh, Another one is The Nights by Avicii. That one always got me fired up, especially going back to when I was a kid, right? You know, it it just fires you up, especially, you know, you wake up Saturday morning and you know that there's a party that night. Oh, yeah. And the last one. Yeah, (laughs) seven-year-old birthday party. Yeah. All, all night longer um by sammy adams and bob like the remix that song is sick you know that one so that's like tell that bartender to make the motherfucker strong oh, yeah yeah i want to so go all night longer or whatever the word yeah is. yeah so so that one fires me up as well you know M- music is huge in the summer you know when i'm yeah. you know at work or doing stuff around the house or playing basketball whatever it is on the boat the boys oh yeah on the boat, the boat. boat. <laughs> so th- those are some of my songs that i like to play in the summer those are my anthems for sure yeah there's but, lots of lots of good summer songs for sure for all the fellas mm-hmm. and felitos yeah but anyways uh i'd like to thank you guys for listening this week uh i know that it's uh we didn't have any special guests this week which is a, a little bit too bad but we thought that it would be nice to just bring the ogs back together and uh we have 167 total plays which is is good it's going up every week and so we, we just thank you guys for listening it, it's been it's been a good ride so far and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon and with that being said see you guys next time Wanna go on